This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. From Christianity Today, this is The Art of Pastoring. I'm Jared Wilson. And I'm Ronnie Martin. Guide me, O Thou Great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. Before we get started today, I just want to thank Christianity Today Magazine and CT Pastors for hosting and supporting. We're really just excited to be a part of that team. We also want to just thank you, our listeners, the way that you continue supporting us, listening, being encouraging to us. We want to encourage you, but we have been massively encouraged since we started this new pod. I'm also here with my co-host, Jared C. Wilson. What's up, Jared? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing much. Hey, Ronnie, I'm wondering... Because this is, we're kind of wrapping up the year with this with this recording. We're going to oh, yeah. have kind of a positive, positive note here. But before we get going, I want to ask you, what was the best, the best book you read that you would recommend to pastors? Oh man! In in, in twenty twenty, I know you read a lot. You, you read like three books a day. I know you're like, <laughs> you're like the Al Mohler of Al Mohler. Out of Al Molers. I'm not right? though. I just oh, okay. I I would rather be writing books like you, but I'm yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm reading more than I'm writing right now. But I think this is not going to come as a shock to anybody. I think for me, it was probably Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. That that one just really really surprised me. I grabbed it because everybody had been recommending it, and I I really didn't know what to expect, so I just I bought it, and I got right into it, and it just getting sort of this up close and personal look at the heart of Christ was in the way that he wrote about Christ's heart for his people. It was just a very endearing book. It really hit me emotionally. And I also love the way he writes. He's very artistic in the way he writes. And I liked how his chapters are very short. And I like that, kind of get you to the next place very swiftly. And And I like the pacing of that. To me, it was like one of these books that people are still going to be reading 100 years from now, and it's going to be effective. It's, it's timeless in its approach and its content. So I was, man, I was really, really taken, taken by that. I know a lot of people were, too, for a good reason. What about you? What did you read this year that was good? Yeah, well, I did read Gentle and Lowly as, as well, and I thought it was such a timely book. I mean, you, yeah. I, think, I think you're right that it's a timeless book, but, man, this was the year we oh, needed man this kind of book. Yeah. And, 100%. and so, it, yeah, yeah. It did that for me as well. Just kind of a uh, slow down, consider the love of Jesus. Yeah. See how he comes to you in the midst of this chaotic kind of tumultuous year. It probably was my favorite book of the year, but more specifically to pastors, my favorite book or, or a book that was new to me that I've started recommending far and wide is a book called Congregational Leadership in Anxious Times, which I guess could be another timely book. Oh, man. Yeah, it's by a Lutheran fellow by the name of Peter Steinke, S-T-E-I-N-K-E. Okay. Sadly, he he passed away this year, actually. He passed away in July. And this book is not a new book. It's, It's been out for several years. And I think even it's in a new edition. Somebody, when I mentioned it on Twitter, the subsequent edition has a different title or something like that. So I read a previous edition, and it just was super helpful. Basically, 
kind of diagnosing, dissecting different kinds of congregational division, conflict, trouble, and then bringing really good pastoral strategies to bear. Like, oh, how man. do you, yeah, yeah um, how do you lead? How do you shepherd through all kinds of different difficulties? And he has a lot of experience both as a pastor and as a consultant to churches who are going through some real divisive and mm. you know conflict issues. And so he has a lot of stories and examples to use. I just found the book super helpful. And for me, probably the best book d- specifically for pastors that I read this year. Yeah, uh, so that'd be a couple of really good books if you have some downtime this Christmas season and just want to dive into something. I haven't read the one that you just suggested, but that sounds really good. And I know General Lowley was just, it's one of those books where you read it and you think, I should probably read that again as soon as I can. Yes. I, I want to. Yeah. I want to keep remembering all of these just deep-hearted truths. And so that that's really a good segue, though, to what we're going to be chatting about today. We want, to, we want this to be, we talked a few weeks ago, we did an episode on the joys of ministry. And Jared, you were like, hey, we, we need to talk about everything can't be doom and gloom. Man, we got we to <laughs> widen this thing out. We got to talk about, we got to talk about some of the things that are a blessing in it and a joy in ministry. And so we're going to shift it. And it's a seasonal thing maybe, but but actually we, we want to do this often. And we want to talk about hope today specifically and, and reasons for the hope that we have as pastors doing what we do. And certainly in the slog that 2020 has been. So I just want to start by asking this question to you, man, which is why should pastors be hopeful? Yeah. So I, I look at this from a couple of different angles and, and one is more nearsighted. I don't know how, how far off this arrival will be, (laughs) but it's nearsighted compared to my second angle, right? So the nearsighted view is the Lord is doing something with, with all of this mess. I think we talked on a previous episode about how we're finding out who our churches really are. Yeah. yeah. Like who's really in it for gospel and community and mission versus some experience or tribal affiliation or political affinity or something like that, we're discovering who's really bought in. So that obviously comes with troubles and challenges for sure. Cause you know, as you lose people or, or yeah. have to sort through pastoring uh, conflict and arguments or, or different things like that. But the, the clarity of it is, is good. And what I think is good, this is just my my gut, and I could be totally wrong, but I, I feel like on the other side of this, whenever that is, the confessing church will be smaller. Mm. I don't know how much smaller, but I think it's going to be smaller, but at the same time, healthier. Yeah, Our culture is already neck deep in, in post-Christendom, post-Christianity, post-truth. And so when you have a, a professing church that is increasingly countercultural by necessity or you know by trajectories is you know gets smaller and yet i think it's stronger mm. gets healthier at the same time it gets more nimble for mission i think it sets mm. us up for a good comeback lord willing for the expansion of the gospel mm. near and far that's just my gut i i think that there's a sifting as much yeah. you know sin as there is right now, as much division, animosity, I think the Lord is doing something in the midst of this because he, he, he is building his kingdom. I wonder and I hope, this is my nearsighted hope, 
that this is going to be good. It's going to be refining yeah, yeah. for the church. It's going to look different, and we're going to have to deal with that. That'll be a cause of mourning for some people, Yeah, that it can't have the same big stuff you did before or the same measure of things you did before. But in the Lord's economy, I think there's there's a lot of grounds for hope there. That's my nearsighted view. How, how about you? I'll, I'll save my my farsighted view. <laughs> well, I, I think it's hard to disagree with what you're saying as much as I would love to. I'm kidding. I, I want to believe everything you're saying because I, I actually believe it's true. I When you think about Peter saying, don't be surprised at the trials, the fiery trials that, that you're going to walk into, I think that we shouldn't be surprised. I think what we should expect is to be surprised by the things that we couldn't have anticipated had we not gone through the trial at all. And so I think it's this perspective that actually can feed into our hope. So what I mean by that is that if hope is something, if we, if we only can hope for things that we don't see, because who hopes for things that they see, which is scripture, then we should have some level of expectancy that there is something on the horizon that is worth hoping for. And so because we know that God is kind and because we know he's patient and because we know that he never does anything on accident, he's not arbitrary, then we know right now that it's a good and a safe and an assured thing for us to hope for something that we can't see, which is the definition of hope, and then trust that the thing that God is going to bring clarity to down the road is going to be so much better than had we not gone through the thing that we're experiencing today. So I think when you take that alone, and again, I think it goes perfectly in line. Notice I said perfectly in line with what you just <laughs> said. I think that's why we need to be hopeful, right? But it does, it does require us to take our eyes off of ourselves, because if we are just becoming more navel gazy and self-focused, that's not the place to find the hope, right? And we are going to be disappointed and disillusioned constantly. Yeah. What complicate? I mean, what disillusions us? What do you think is is standing in the way of sensing or 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 having this kind of hope? I think as pastors, we're very caught up in our own vision, right? We think this is. This is what things are supposed to be. This is what I laid out to my congregation. This is what I communicated with my elders. And I think this year has shown us that God has a way of kind of coming into our lives and saying, well, that's cute. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so, but I think when we hold on to our own personal visions for how we think things are supposed to be, whether it's ministry or our life or even our marriage or, or, you know, all these different categorical things. I think God has a way of coming in and stirring that because we've become too self-reliant. So I think our self-reliance and our self-focus and our vision can really obscure that. It can really cloud that, that, that ability to be hopeful, right? Yes, the difference, isn't it, between the dream and, and hope, right? What you just described is, is what Bonhoeffer and yes. Life Together talks about as the wish dream. yes. The vision for the church that you want, where you want to go, who you want your people to be, that sort of thing. And he says it's a it's a great mercy. He uses the word shattered, that your wish dream would be shattered. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think if that's where your hope is, it can be actually a great mercy that your hopes get dashed. Because we aren't to hope like the world hopes. When the world hopes, 
there's a, I hope this happens. I hope that happens. There's a, the sense of potentiality, yes. but it, it may or it might or might not happen. And the, the Christian's hope isn't like that. The way the New Testament in particular, and, and the Old Testament as well, but the way that the New Testament speaks of hope, the way Paul speaks of hope is different. It's something sure. Yeah. And, and we don't use hope that way. And in, in, in the common language of the day, we say, I hope something happens. Yeah, right. But he talks about hope like, man, this, this is going to happen. You don't hope this is going to happen. Your hope is this thing is going to happen. It's a sure thing. I, and, you know, you mentioned Paul, and it, it just got me thinking about the fact that Paul has such a hopeful way of being, you know, really in all of his writing. And you just think of, obviously, we're, we're given this tiny snapshot of what was in his mind, but I don't think it was part of his vision and plan to be locked up in those jails writing those letters. Now, I can only imagine him being in those situations thinking, at, at least at some point, gosh, man, my writing would be so much better if I was just in the place that I wanted to be. <laughs> I, it's hard for me to think right now because I'm in pain. And, oh, man, I just sent out that letter in, in you know, the message in the bottle across the sea. And that thing I wanted to tell Timothy, and I, 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 I forgot to write this, and I forgot to write that because I was in this place <laughs> where I, I just wasn't thinking clearly because everything is just not exactly how I, how I envisioned it. Paul had to have had those thoughts because those are human thoughts, but at the same time, it never seemed to inform where he allowed himself to go in terms of what he believed God was doing in those moments. In other words, like Paul was just like, man, this is where it is. This is where I was supposed to be. I'm supposed to be in these chains. And this is what's happening while I'm locked up in these chains. But there was never a sense of, man, this is hopeless. And until until I can get just released from this, there's nothing for me to do, which is where I think we go a lot. You know, when we're sort of looking for scenarios that we feel suit us better for the work of ministry, right? Yeah, I mean, I think to have the hope that he did is not to have some kind of pie in the sky right. kind of mentality. Because, you know, as you mentioned, he's always hopeful. Yeah. But we have to define that correctly because there's times where he says, we despaired of life itself. Right? Yes. Or, yeah. So there's times where he's not feeling. I guess a hope that his body is going to last or that he's not going to be executed or he's not going to be in suffering of some kind, but he's always hopeful, which means his hope is somewhere else than some kind of temporary yeah. blessing or, or physical material kind of provision. His, his, his hope is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yeah. Right. So his, his hope is a, an eyes lifted up kind of, kind of thing which gosh is if that's not a message for oh, man. ministry today yeah when we're constantly looking at like man i hope 2021 is better than 2020 or i hope next month is better than this month i hope the giving next week is 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 higher than this week's and i hope this guy will leave the church or i hope this guy <laughs> won't leave the church or those are the hopes that we're we tend to be preoccupied with and we forget the sure hope of of Christ and his steadiness and the anchor that he is through all of these, these highs and lows. This episode is brought to you by Church Law and Tax. Church Law and Tax understands the realities of church work, helping thousands of churches stay informed and get equipped with comprehensive resources on legal, tax, financial, and risk management matters. Do you have a question on housing allowance? Need information on selecting church insurance? 
Looking for insights on what is or isn't unrelated business income? Or how about some guidance on how to properly receive charitable contributions? ChurchLawAndTax.com equips you for success with access to the most respected and knowledgeable attorneys, accountants, financial advisors, and risk managers guiding churches today. Get the practical information and timely coverage you need to keep your church up to date and lead your ministry with confidence. Join ChurchLawAndTax.com today. So what was a time that you felt particularly hopeless maybe and what kind of snapped you out of it do you think man there's definitely been some times i I think whenever there is a sense of relational breakage i think those have been the times in my life where i've just been at my lowest when when a relationship sort of tears the at the seams and there's just at least in the moment there's no way there's no way to find reconciliation and it it affects a lot of people. It affects a lot of ministry. We had something like this happen about a year and a half ago at our church. It was such a monumental thing, you know. I, I think there's those moments where you you just you, you have to stop and you look around and you you find yourself just sitting in all the ruin in a way, and you just go, Lord, what what was the reason for this? You think of all the ways it could have been avoided, and then there's this sense of disillusionment that like sets in, which again I always say is a good thing, right? Because there was part of you was living with an illusory hope, a lesser hope, rather than the hope that you just described, which is more of an anchor hope, you know? I think but those relational brokennesses have just been absolutely the hardest ones for me personally to navigate because I just can never see a good reason why they needed to happen. Mm-hmm. There's other things you can see, you know, there's other things that break and fall and disappear and dissipate. And you can kind of go, you know, that was kind of a weight that I'm kind of glad now looking back that that, that wasn't there. But when you think of a, of a relationship and you think of maybe a, a brother that, that was a brother, you, you have this moment where that doesn't exist anymore. You wonder, God, what on earth could you possibly be doing? How can it possibly be better that we have this sense of disunity rather than unity? And of course, God doesn't think it's better that we have disunity, but we also need to understand that, man, he works through those broken relationships. Jesus had many broken relationships during his his ministry, and yet, obviously, those things were in place with a person, the creator of the universe, that we would think, well, how did that how did that happen? And yet it happened. It's going to happen to us. God is going to use it in a very unique way that we just can't anticipate. But th- those are the hard ones for me where I just lose my sense of of hope and I really I man I really have to quiet myself before the Lord and start the process of getting back into a place of imagining because I think our imagination is important here of imagining that he is doing something really important in all the broken pieces that make it up but what about you tell me yeah the the one that comes most to mind in in terms of prominence is we planted a church once upon a time in in nashville tennessee oh yeah i learned a lot it was kind of my first training ground for i mean i've been in ministry for a long time before that but not with a sense of gospel centrality so i was kind of new to the ministry philosophy of everything being centered on the finished work of christ and so I was figuring out how to preach in a gospel-centered way. I was figuring out how to how to lead now in a gospel-centered way. And 
I didn't have the infrastructure or the support that church plants really do need. And I didn't know what I was doing to top it all off. I just knew how to preach and how to help people. Right. And every week I'm hoping for something different. I'm hoping for yeah. for more money. I'm hoping for more people. That was a big one that we weren't growing numerically. And so to to be able to sustain, it just, it was hard. I mean, there was a lot of joy to it. And I don't remember thinking of like the ministry itself as a drudgery at all. If anything, it was like a new wondrous world to me of okay. getting to do this gospel centered thing for the first time. But every week my hopes would be dashed in terms of people who aren't walking through the door. Yeah. And I, I could just see kind of the writing on the wall. And I was pastoring for free at that time. Becky was working mm. and I just knew like this, this cannot be sustained. Like our life is upside down. And I believe the Lord is, is calling us elsewhere. And that was really difficult because I knew if we left essentially the church would die. Like oh, okay. my hope, yeah. my hope for that church plant would be dashed. The wish dream would be shattered. Yeah. And and so we just had to embrace that and and step into the new season of ministry that the Lord provided for us. And I really struggled with that looking back because I've always talked about it as a as a failed church plant. And it it was certainly in the sense of like it didn't exist when we left. It had to right. it had, you know had to close its doors. But I have brothers and sisters who were a part of that thing such as it was as small as it was who were part of our core team who either were new in the faith when they started with us and grew tremendously through the experience or it was their first kind of ministry experience who looking back kind of like chastised me Mm. (laughs) like quit calling it a failure just because it died yeah (laughs) right like that hope got dashed but one of my friends described it as, I think he used the, the illustration of like a dandelion, but essentially like, you know, a plant dies yeah, and the seeds get scattered, which is a biblical illustration as well. The right. seeds scatter and then those seeds take root and grow something bigger and stronger. And I'm looking at some of these folks who came out of that, that was almost like an incubator for them mm. in terms of gospel centrality. Like they were new to it as That's well. Really we were good, all man. figuring it out together. Yeah. And they're stronger and more mature and and flourishing in ministry today. And, and they would trace it back to that church plant, showing them Christ and all the scriptures, how to do day-to-day ministry from a gospel-centered way, and giving a vision of mission and community, et cetera, et cetera. For me, it's like, okay, the Lord turned a, a dashed hope into a bigger, into a truer hope, which is that... He knows his own, and and he's going to take care of them, and and he's going to steer them. I think that's the far-sighted hope that I was alluding yeah, to earlier. Yeah. My kind of far-sighted vision for pastors, especially, is man. I think we need a renewed vision of heaven mm. today. And we've we've always believed in heaven, but we feel very keenly these days that sense of alienation, yes, and and exile that we are in exile, that the world is passing away. The, the creation is going to be restored. It's giving way to something new and, and, and better, the new creation that is coming. I think, gosh, n- not to shortchange or to be derelict in our duty towards day-to-day ministry, but w- I think we need a renewed vision of heaven. Th- that That's where our hope is. Yeah, no, I think that's so good. It, it just it, it reminds me of even, I think, a, a couple of pods ago when we were talking about just our we are just craving to get past 2020. We just want to get things back to normal. Get us that vaccine. 
get get our <laughs> services back, kind of in the the momentum and the the routine and the rhythm that they had. Again, none of those things are those aren't bad things to want and to desire. Of course, especially vaccines, we want all of this. There's been a loss of life, and we desire a good thing with that. But I also wonder that, especially when when we talk about hope, to be careful of what we're hoping for with the danger of denying the thing that God is doing to reshape our hope. God is always sort of, in a, in a sense, redeeming our hope, right? So as we grow in our sanctification, what's growing along with that sanctification is this sense that like my hope, I have a better hope than I did years before. My, my hope is better. I'm hoping in better things. I, I'm hoping in the better person. I'm hoping in Christ. And so do we, do we need to be very careful that we're not just looking to let our hope go back to that, that lesser sense of hope or that thinner hope or that less sanctified hope, then it's going to be after this, which is, hey, I, my eyes have been down and they just need to be up now. And hey, they're up now. I mean, the yeah. stuff is falling, stuff is falling down all around me. Stuff is lying in <laughs> ruin all around me, but my eyes are up now, right? Yeah. The blessed hope is, is, yes. is what we're waiting for. There it is. I so. mean, that's what our hearts are longing for. Gosh, that's the radio signal that's being sent out yeah. by our soul. That's good. Cannot be received by any ministry opportunities here. It 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 has to make its connection with the voice from heaven and mm. and the reality that he's coming he's coming soon. Like what a cause for hope that the Lord does not count slowness the way yes. we do, right? That that it's patience, but he is coming quickly. That I think is something Mm. worth getting up in the morning about no matter how hard the day is going to be or how hard yesterday was we can get up and suit up and 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 do the next right thing because he's coming quickly yeah and and it's all going to be worth it yeah for sure and that gives us a really good way to step into 21 not necessarily just on a thread on a string just praying and wishing that everything gets back to normal but understanding that no 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 god's been God's been doing a work in our day that is probably going to stun us once we see the fruition of it down the road. And and that is something I think we can remain hopeful for. And that's a hopeful word. I've been speaking with Ronnie Martin. My name is Jared Wilson. Thanks so much for listening to the Art of Pastoring podcast. If you're liking the show, please take a minute and give us a rating and review in iTunes. It helps other people find us. You can find Ronnie and me on Twitter at, at Ronnie J. Martin and at Jared C. Wilson. Feel free to hit us up with questions and potential topics for the show. We'd love to hear from you. The Art of Pastoring is a production of Christianity Today. It's produced by Mike Cosper, editing by Mike Cosper and Aaron Leslie, mixing by Aaron Leslie. Our theme song is Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah by Jeremy Casella.